on my show. I actually am looking forward to a recession, and here's why. Not because of the financial aspect of it. It's going to be chaotic. Politicians are going to be insane and loudmouth idiots like they always are. But um, people are going to wake up during the recession, on the back end of the recession, and they're going to notice that the sun still came up. And they're going to recognize, wait a minute, I'm way stronger than my politicians told me I was. I was. I'm way stronger than I thought I was. I'm way stronger than that ex-boyfriend told me I was. And then we're going to, that's resilience, right? That's growth. Yeah. That's, that's development. So I see it every single day with people who say I'm having the courage to leave my abusive marriage finally. And I, I think as a society, we have lost the ability, the skill set. Um, in the similar way that all of our granddads knew how to fix plumbing under the sink, none of us do. Mm-hmm. I think the, we have lost the skill set of self-reflection. What am I contributing to this problem? And we have created such insulation around that, like you mentioned, discomfort. We are unable to see our participation in a problem. Every- Make your escape. Welcome to Last in Line Podcast, where we are highlighting, showcasing, and spotlighting great leaders of faith who have overcome adversity, cultivated resilience, and served others in a significant capacity. So settle in and be encouraged by this episode of Last in Line Podcast. Hey, I'd like to welcome Dr. John Deloney to the show today. Dr. John has his own radio show, the Dr. John Deloney Show, uh, within the Ramsey Network group of uh, radio shows. He is a mental health expert with a double doctorate, uh, and he at one point was president of a university, uh, dean of students. He's, uh, like I said, double doctorate. He's he's well-educated. He is well-experienced. He is well-versed. Uh, the guy knows his stuff and listen to him articulate a message that encourages people, gives them hope, uh, helps them redefine their new normal as it relates to self-identity, the way that they talk about themselves, view themselves, see their purpose in life, deal with relationships. Uh, so he's all over the place when it comes to, in a good way, when it comes to helping people deal with themselves, with relationships, marriage, parenting. And we're just glad he came back because he was on uh, – Back in 2021, um, actually 2022, last year, he was here, and we were cut short on time. Uh, but today, he has graciously awarded us a little bit more time. And so he's carved out some margin in his day, which you know is probably very busy. So we're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about some of the hot topics from last year in 2022 from a mental health standpoint. And then we're going to get his perspective on what he anticipates to be uh, the the big polarizing topics in 2023, what he's working on personally, uh, how God's dealing with him on some things, uh, some of the ways he's grown in the last year. And I'm just excited. We're going to talk a little bit about, as you know, he launched a book last year called Own Your Past, Change Your Future. We're going to touch that a little more today, but I want to welcome Dr. John Deloney back to Last in Line podcast. 
John Deloney, honored to have you back to Last in Line Podcast. Welcome, sir. You got it, man. Thanks, Shibley. It's good to good to be back, man. Hey, man. Uh, so yeah, just we your book had come out, I think, uh, back in. It's weird to say last year because it was all of about five minutes ago. But yeah, in twenty twenty two, I guess, and and uh, we talked a lot about that, and and you've been. Uh, nice enough to come back and give us a little extra time, maybe a little bonus time. And so I appreciate it. And uh, man, before we start, though, tell us about 2022 in a little bit in in, in a in a five second nutshell. No. Uh, what were some of your takeaways, man? What did you see? What were some hot topics that you felt like there was a common thread going around? Uh, man, um, and for me, it was the it was the best business year I've ever had, and so uh, we had some. My wife and I hit some pretty um, good milestones. I guess my kids are involved in that too. So on the one hand, it was pretty remarkable, and I got I traveled the country and spent a lot of time on the road um, with big audiences and little audiences behind closed doors, sitting with business leaders. And so, from a personal uh, developmental, I mean, all that it was great, man. Um, I I had a I still have uh, just a nagging sense that um, I've said in, in some interviews in some places that I think what happened with the two or three year circus around COVID will be a hundred year issue for us. And I think I, I didn't want that to be the case. And sometimes I just pop off at the mouth and I'm, I'm <laughs> my wife will tell you I'm way wrong. Um, I think I was more right on that than, than I had, I wanted to be. And what I mean by that is um, yes, there's the health and safety consequences, all that, but Man, we just flat out pulled the pillars of the education um, uh, industry, the medical trust in the medical system, trust in politics. We just melted it all to the ground overnight. And it was a weird confluence of politicians doing business the way they've always done it and us having access to every YouTube channel on planet Earth and everything in between. And suddenly... Um, what we've leaned on in the past just appeared to disappear overnight. And I, I think it's going to take a long time to build that back. People across the country are no longer asking like, Hey man, my kid's got ADHD. What do I do? They're asking questions like, is, is this it? Mm. Is has democracy run aground? Um, are my kids going to, is there going to be a planet left for my kids to have? Am I going to have grandkids? I mean, the questions they're asking are so existential um, that we're almost having to go in my mind, I'm going back to square one with taking care of people, making sure they feel safe before we do any teaching or anything like that. Yeah. And in a, in a microwave society, I'm guessing we're, we're hoping that we, we can just kind of turn around and, and see something quick fixed, even though it seems like it got melted down overnight. I think the rebuilding process, like you said, is going to take a while. And, that's where I think people are getting agitated and a little bit restless because we think all of a sudden in two years we're gonna we're gonna go to the the polls and and our our vote is gonna change things right automatically and and it will help but I think what has been done is 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 almost like a uh, it's it's a chronic situation that is gonna take some time and and you know you being sort of this. I don't know, master of mental gymnastics, if you will. Uh, and that's what you you do daily. Um, is there, give me a little bit of hope, maybe just that you've seen, you know, maybe some aha moments that people have kind of stumbled on in their relationships, you know, with your show and 
maybe getting more granular, obviously, uh, in your day-to-day grind. What what are some of the bright spots maybe where people are turning corners just maybe within the full four walls of their home right now? Well, I think we have, a, uh, as a as just as people, we have a predisposition to um, dress rehearsing the worst possible thing that can happen. I think that's wired into us uh, neurologically. Mm-hmm. And then I look at something as simple and as insidious and as awesome. Uh, I think it's I-40. I think it's it's the whatever bridge takes me from Tennessee, my home state, to um, through Memphis over the big river into Arkansas. And there were some kayakers who were kayaking underneath that bridge and they looked up and it there was these massive cracks in it and they saw the cracks and i guess some government officials have been lying about their inspections had just breezed over into pocketed some money or something like that but they shut the bridge down and i had to drive to uh i was driving through arkansas and dude to go around it was the worst it was hours out of my way and yet they repaired that bridge and it's stronger than it was before. And they did it before the whole thing fell apart. Mm. And so I see that and it's a great metaphor for me. We just assume that when you get on a track that the whole thing's got to implode and democracy's got to end and the government's going to have a civil war. There's a whole bunch of exit ramps before we have to go down there. It's just going to take us all deciding, Hey, we're going to go through some hard stuff. And, and at the micro level, it's like looking in the mirror and saying, dude, I've put on 30 pounds and I don't want to, I, my knees hurt, my back hurts. I'm not interested in, in being intimate anymore. I need to go do some hard things. It's about picking which hard path you're going to take because staying 30 pounds and gain another 10 and going 40. That's a hard way of doing life, man. It's lonely. It's, it's painful and losing 30 pounds. <laughs> it sucks, man. It's not fun. Um, what I know is we can do it. And I see it, like you mentioned, I see it every day on my show. I actually am looking forward to a recession, and here's why. Not because of the financial aspect of it. It's going to be chaotic. Politicians are going to be insane and loudmouth idiots like they always are. But um, people are going to wake up during the recession, on the back end of the recession, and they're going to notice that the sun still came up. And they're going to recognize, wait a minute, I'm way stronger than my politicians told me I was. I was. I'm way stronger than I thought I was. I'm way stronger than that ex-boyfriend told me I was. And then we're going to, that's resilience, right? That's growth. Yeah. That's, that's development. So I see it every single day with people who say, I'm having the courage to leave my abusive marriage. Finally, I have the courage to just get out of debt and stop the anxiety alarms in my body because Toyota is deciding what I do tomorrow, not me. Or my mortgage company decides what I'm doing tomorrow at work, not me. I'm, I'm going to leave this toxic work environment where my boss is a lunatic. And I, I, I see it over and over and over. And these things, we have to believe that, yes, there are things we got to change and we can change them before the whole thing ends up in ash. Yeah. Yeah. And love the, the analogy of the person that's 30, 40 pounds overweight, you know, that's to your point earlier, like as a society, we're kind of that person looking in the mirror going, we're going to die of diabetes. Like we're, we're, we're making this extreme. We're going to this far extreme rather than taking like to use, like you said, taking a few exits around and, and having to take a little bit longer route to get where we want to go. But I think that's why, I mean, you've seen it. I've seen it. This, this topic in 2022, if, if there was a theme for podcasts, for authors, for speakers, I think it's resilience. I think this is a hot topic. I think, we are we are trying to promote doing hard things, like you said, 
getting uncomfortable needs to be our new normal and maybe manufacturing a little hardship, mm-hmm. right? Is, is something that's going to make us that I know that's what will happen to get elevate that level of resilience, but there's got to be a wiring in us that that wants to, you know, is the is the hill worth dying on? Like we gotta we gotta know that there's something we're willing to plant our flag in to to go to those places of discomfort. Uh, help me understand, maybe just from and, and I'm asking you to speak for for all the people in the, in the world, but uh, help me understand maybe what keeps us from letting our mind go to a place that's receptive to discomfort, that's receptive to stretching. I hate stretching. Okay. I hate stretching muscles, but, but, but man, is there a benefit? So help me understand, obviously modernity has helped with us getting here, but from a mental standpoint, what, what prevents us from sort of taking that step into that discomfort realm? I I think we are hard, hard wire, hard wired. I mean, our, our discomfort is wired into our physiology at the at the dna level right and discomfort exists to direct us to avoid it because up until about 200 years ago discomfort got you killed the elements got you killed finding yourself alone without a tribe got you killed and so discomfort became a great alarm system for us to direct our behaviors back to safety now we have made everything so comfortable that we solved for discomfort. We, our alarms are going like the, the benchmark. Now we're dis uncomfortable when somebody hurts our feelings. Now we're uncomfortable when somebody um, wears something that we don't like what they're wearing. Like, so we have taken discomfort and moved it into this moral objection area, which is this super gray world where my life can only be whole if you get out of the way and mm. your life can only be so it's we just keep moving the line and if the goal is to be less uncomfortable <laughs> dude that's 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 the movie wally right you're just sitting around floating around <laughs> 700 pounds overweight getting food pumped into you with a straw and then you just die a miserable death and so we have to look and say hey as a society well done everybody we've essentially solved for food not everybody there's food insecurity of course but we've solved for food we've solved for fill in the blank any number of issues um, in the short term we have to inject uh hard things back into our lives if they're not there and if they're not going to be there we've got to make sure they're there that's why we lift heavy weights that's why we do heavy things and by the way, uh, this is a snapshot, dude. There's going to be an earthquake. There's going to be a volcano. There's going to be famine. There's going to be fl- there's flooding right now. Um, that will happen. That takes away some of this illusory control that we think we've got over everything. But I, I think when it comes to seeking comfort, man, that is just so deeply ingrained in us because comfort, I mean, discomfort throughout time has meant death. Yeah. Sounds like you're, you've read the book that I'm in the middle of right now by Michael Easter, uh, The Comfort Crisis. I don't know if you've read that, but actually, a lot I of actually your terminology. Reached out and, I actually reached out and called him. Uh, I've been rucking for years, and uh, I finished the book, and I actually reached out and called him it, it, just to say, hey, man, great job. That's awesome. Yeah, it's an excellent, excellent. Because, I, I mean, some of your references were right on with, with that with what he articulated, like, and, and, and I agree. I mean, it's 100% right. Like, we, we worked so hard to get – to the place where we felt that security that now it's 
had a it's been counterproductive because now we're now we're avoiding at all costs any little bit of friction or any little rub that disrupts our comfortable routine i guess it's almost like taking in order to grow we're taking weight off the bar and that's and that's ex- like counterintuitive exactly was that's a great analogy yeah we we get under the bar and realize it's heavy and we take weight off we take weight off and now we're bench pressing nothing we have a broomstick and we can do 50 reps and we're really impressed with ourselves yes and <laughs> the world has something else to say about that but we're wondering where our chest went Right. Like we're wondering where the where the where the muscles. Well, we can't lift the yeah. we can't lift the laundry basket up, and we're wondering yeah. why our back hurts and our knees hurt, and why I have headaches all the time. And I absolutely my sex drive is in 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 the in the basement. I, I don't want anything to do with anything. Um, and so we're we're expect we're doing X and expecting Y, and it just doesn't it, the algorithm's not working out. Yeah, and and I wonder, do you think we're in denial a little bit that? Oh, it can't get that bad again. Or yeah, we survived COVID ish. Uh, and, but I mean, that's a once in a couple hundred year thing or whatever. Are we, are we justifying? Are we in denial? Why are we? I think so- we've lost. I, I look at this as, as a set of skills. Um, I, I'm working really hard to get the message out. I think we over moralize and over characterize character, like make it, make it, make it character, make it about your poor character way too much. I think it's a set of skills. And I I think as a society, we have lost the ability, the skill set in the similar way that all of our granddads knew how to fix plumbing under the sink. None of us do. Mm -hmm. I think the, we have lost the skill set of self-reflection. What am I contributing to this problem? And we have created such insulation around that, like you mentioned, discomfort. We are unable to see our participation in a problem. It, everything has to be somebody else's fault. And that comes from a brain that is redlining. That's a burned out, exhausted, fried brain, anxious brain that quickly is dividing the world up. And this all happens subconsciously into us's and them's. They're the reason I'm hurting. They've got to pay the price. And we have no ability. It's just a skill set. And so really, as a society, we've got to look in the mirror and say, okay, what can I do? And throughout history, society's forced to say, okay, what can I do? Um, figure that out. And it's really, really painful. And people die and people starve and then people figure it out. My hope is we can all figure that out, begin to change direction, begin to exercise more, begin to be in relationships more, head back to a system of belief more, um, stop fighting everybody and yelling about everything. Um, my hope is we can do that before it becomes just an unsustainable hardship. Yeah. Well said. Well, I, you know, Jocko obviously saw it happening before, before we might have when he talked about extreme ownership and uh, the, this I mean, accountability. He, he, I mean, he, you can lift all the weights you want. You can do all of the drills you want. Um, I've been, I've been through all the drills and I've been in a building in a school with an active shooter. And I would, I'm telling you, man, it's different, right? You, all that stuff, like you've got to, like you've got to own it all, man. Cause it's yeah. happening right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it, it, it's, it's taken life out of the theoretical and it's taken life out of, you think this hurts, Wait till you're in a situation where your kids aren't eating. That's yeah. and let's let's see if we can mitigate before we get there. 
Yeah. And, and a lot of that too, you know, talking about the blame game a little bit, you, you know, we've, we've created this enabling uh, component of our society and, and of our, maybe the family framework at some point. I mean, even like to the government level, down to the family level, parent level, we've enabled. So then that's basically uh, equipped us to be better blamers, right? Mm-hmm. Better, let's, let's, you know, let's let's divert attention from ourselves and what our ownership is. And I'm glad you said that because I, back to kind of maybe parlay that into what we were talking about with fitness a little bit. But uh, tell me, you know, give me give me the true uh, behind the curtain on what John Deloney thinks about New Year's resolutions. And then I want maybe you could unpack a little bit why we struggle there. I mean, we yeah. kind of probably touched on some of that, but but like. 90% maybe quit in the first month. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a high number. Where are we at with that? Um, let me, let me, I'm going to double click on that real quick, but I, okay. I want to touch on the, the blame thing. I yeah, think yeah. it's important to call out that blame is a double-edged sword. Blame is a projection of my pain onto somebody else. I'm feeling uncomfortable or something wrong in my life because of you. And blame exists because cowards will not take responsibility for their actions. Mm-hmm. And because entire swaths of people stick their heads in the sand and say, I don't believe you. And so blame works both ways. My kid doesn't have to blame me for feeling bad after I yell. If I snap and I say, I, I raise my voice with my son. If I say, whoa, 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 a hundred percent. Um, I should not have yelled at you. That is on me. That is a, your dad messed that up. That is not you. I'm sorry. I've taken blame from him, right? So if you are struggling in X number areas and people have, there is true injustice and we got to own that side of it. And just sitting around pointing fingers doesn't solve your problem. At some point you got to get up and act. So it's both in. So when it comes to um, New Year's resolutions, Dude, this is my, <laughs> this is my, I don't care what any psychologist says. I don't care what any of the voodoo, ma- this is my favorite time of year. I love it. I'm a huge New Year's resolution guy. I love making them. My wife says uh, her favorite person in the entire planet is January John. She goes, that dude is in the best freaking shape. He cleans up after himself. He's just a great present human. She loves January John. And occasionally she, <laughs> she's been like, man, January John, was around in April. He was amazing. Wow. So, um, and then he, you know, goes back. To he wore out his welcome, which is a good thing, but then right, he, he right. sort of just vanished. Um, here's a couple of things I love about it. Number one is we all, I, it's, it's the last little moment we all have. Like every, when, we, when everybody was assigned some sort of religion or they subscribe to some sort of religion, every religious practice has confession. This idea that I'm sitting down and taking stock of what I've done. I think this is the, and now, you know, so many people don't go to church anymore. They've got no faith affiliation. I think this is the last cultural moment we have where we pause mm-hmm. and say, how was last year? Oh man, I need to do some things differently. So I think the exercise is important just to pause and be reflective of where you are in life. How's your life going and what role are, what role are you playing in it? Um, the second thing is, this is probably bad physiology. I'm a big believer, man, in if I'm going to punch you, I'm going to try to hit you as hard as I can. Um, I never, when I was doing MMA, I was, my jab was always awful. And there's a place for a jab. I just thought it was a waste of a punch. If I'm going to throw a punch, I'm going to try to put you on the ground. 
Um, and again, that wore me out and got me beat up a lot in, in practice. But when I'm going to, if I'm going to make changes, I, I, I want to, I want to be honest about the changes. I want to put them all on the table. This is what I've changed in the last five or 10 years. January, John, isn't so much a thing anymore. I've really taken stock of my buddy, James clear. Like get 1%, get 2%, get 5% better at a thing and let time do work. It's magic. Let compound interest in weight, the weight room, compound interest in your marriage and your parenting and your, and your finances, let it work. It's magic. Um, and so this year, last year, the last few years, instead of being like, this year I'm going to, it's been much more about I'm going to continue to choose more difficult path. I'm going to choose it this way. I'm going to read all of the author's books, even if they're hard. I'm going to fill in the, fill in the blank. I'm going to become this thing. And then here's the other thing on, on uh, I think goals are, are increasingly, the, the research is showing us goals are kind of dumb. They are, we've made goals in our society. We've become obsessed with goals. We become obsessed with finish lines and we're missing all of the training, all of the growth, all the psychological development, all of the resilience training along the way. And we just run across this marathon finish line and we're like, we did it. And as you and I've talked about in the past, that's great, man, but you go with you. Right. And if the whole point was just to run across that line, well, here's a golf clap, man. And you come Monday, you're back at work and nothing's in your life has changed. Yeah. If you switch your identity, I'm a guy who takes care of his body and does crazy hard adventures. Then suddenly running a marathon is a fulfillment of who you are. It becomes a part of you. You become a guy who looks at different running shoes and a guy who works out even when it's cold and a guy who runs in the heat and a guy who eats certain foods and not certain foods because you're a guy who. And yeah. changing uh, your identity and then backfilling actions into that identity, I, I – I mean, it's just yeah. infinitely more sustainable. That's good. And to your point with, with James Clear, uh, I think he talks about being productive versus busy, right? I think right. we make this list of sensationalized goals, and then where are we, you know, 12 months down the road? Maybe right, we right. checked them, but we're still the same guy. But uh, so to your point of the 1%, I like, I like that because – I mean, I coached baseball for a long time and, and I just wanted, you know, the, the concept I wanted to nail home every day was plus one, just yeah. one thing better, right? Pick one thing to be better at today than you were yesterday. And so I, I think about this new year's resolution being sort of this Bob Ross moment of a blank canvas. And, and instead of, you know, where we get caught up again is I expect to paint this portrait, you know, this amazing landscape, but I think I should be happy with just that tree that I can paint right there, mm. you know, and, and, and we're, we've got Bob Ross on our mind uh, and, and see what he comes up with and think that that's what we've got to paint. And I think we just are like, I'm done. Like the brush is out. I'm not going to even try. And so, yeah, let's go 1%. Let's, let's paint a, let's paint a tree, you know, let's paint a, uh, something small that's in our wheelhouse. That's within our skill set. Let's not try to be this person. And, and I mean, comparisons, right? I mean, you hear, I'm sure you hear a lot about that. That can trip us up. Are, are we, are we a people that I'm sure social media contributes a little bit, but how unhealthy for my listeners? Cause I have a lot of guys on here that I think fall into the same category. I do that we get into the comparison game. So how does that trip us and how, how detrimental can that be? Yeah. I, I mean, that's something that I've worked for the last decade or so to kind of unhook from, and I, I'm in a pretty good place right now. I was on the phone talking to my buddy Lane Norton 
as I pulled into the studio here, Lane is, uh, he won national, I mean, internationals, um, weightlifting competition last year. Strongest man in the world in that, in his weight class. Um, runs really successful businesses, has about 7X the number of social media followers. That, but he's my friend. I will never lift as much weight as that dude. I will never catch him on social media. My life is in a contest with him. My life in relationship with him is a gift. And so I, I think the greatest, one, not the greatest, one of the greatest mental health um, hacks, if you will, and I hate that word, but things you can do to instantly improve your life is to celebrate people's victories. Um, don't immediately ask yourself, why not me? Or what if I, how, how do I get to just cheer for them? And occasionally, man, I have to, my, my, my instant, my instant thing is, well, how'd you get that speaking gig? How you, you made, you got, they paid you what? Like, that's my first impulse, fine. My second impulse is to exhale and let it out and go, dude, that is amazing. Good for your family, good for your buddies. Um, good for your career. Like, and so it's just a, it's just a totally different mindset. I'm really happy when my neighbors get a new track. I live out in the woods, get a new tractor, get a new truck. I'm excited for them. And I'm really happy right now with my old, old beat up pickup truck with almost 200,000 miles on it. It's just, that's, that's, it's, it's just a much more less anxious way to live. Yeah. And, and the Bible says, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice and, and grieve with those who grieve. So I, I think we gravitate a little bit easier to the grieving thing. Like if somebody loses something, it's for some reason we're better at that. Like, hey, you know, we're here for you or put our arm around them. But man, when that person gets the promotion that we were going for. It's the scarcity thing, right? It's it's yeah. our bodies are wired into there's only so many apples falling from this single apple tree and it has not adapted to. Hey, we figured out how to make an orchard. And we think if that guy gets the raise that that's it. Like you took my money off my table and our bodies naturally feel bad about that. Hey, before we get back to the conversation here with our guest, I want to thank uh, one of our sponsors, a new partner, Uncommon, which is a ministry that is equipping uh, and empowering great men to become the husbands, the fathers, and leaders they were called to be, go to uncommon.org. That's U-N-C-O-M-M-E-N.org. Check out their content. Go to Uversion, download their devotionals. Great team, great people, great men, and they're out there for you. They're out there with great content, and they're out there to encourage us to be the men we were called to be. So I want to thank TJ and his team at Uncommon. So now... Let's get back to the conversation with our great guest here at Last in Line Podcast. World with more of an, an abundant mindset, and that's uh, right. That that's actually, I think, politically speaking, one of the great catastrophes. My son thinks he's twelve, going on thirteen. He thinks the world's going to end in twenty-five or so years. That's the message that the political realm has put out that this is it, everybody. This is our final stand. This is our last stand. Mm-hmm. And they, we have final stand and last stand every week for the last 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years. And our bodies have had enough, man. They've had enough. And um, yeah, yeah, we got to change the messaging. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Um, well, and so when we talk about a little bit of, I mean, I know you hear some good stuff, but but a lot of times you're helping people navigate through some, turbulent waters emotionally, relationally, right? Uh, financially, just within themselves. Uh, 
I, this this topic of victimhood came up um, last year a little bit with just kind of became a common theme for about a month or two. And I know this isn't a new word for us, but I think the way that society has almost I get in trouble for this, but glorified it or there's a badge of honor that's attached to the worse off we have it kind of the better. And, and so help me unpack a statement I heard uh, that it says pain is guaranteed. Suffering is optional. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know this is probably not a new concept for you, but maybe for the listeners, maybe help us understand maybe like uh, the chains of victimhood or an ejection seat out of it, like help us get out of this because we, we all get there. I think we all play that pity party some, but some to a a more degree than others help us kind of unpack the statement I gave and then where that ejection seat handle is for victimhood. If we find ourselves there. Yeah. I think, I think the man, if I off the top of my head, I think the path to celebrating victimhood came out of the importance of telling untold stories, right? Um, we knew slavery was bad. And then we got a hold of some of those journals that some mm. of those slaves kept. And we heard that story, right? We read, like, it became visceral. Mm. Um, and so there was something critical and important about telling stories, especially from people who have been silenced in, in the past. Mm-hmm. And then our natural inclination is, well, what about me? Doesn't my story count too? And of course it counts, but we're gonna listen to this one right now. And I think it's become an arms race to who can tell their story. And the more salacious it is, and the more, well, this happened to me, it is, um, the more value we've suddenly placed on it overnight. And so I, I, I think that's kind of where, it, that's where it came from. That's, my, that's just off the top of my head guess here. Um, and now we have a bunch of people clamoring for the microphone to say, well, yeah, but this happened. To me. Great, man. Um, that leads us to what are we going to do now? And I think that's one of the scariest questions any of us can ask, which is what, what comes next. Um, tell me that quote again. Uh, so uh, pain is guaranteed and uh, uh, yeah, suffering, I, is, and suffering optional. is optional. I, I think that's a cute Instagram saying. I don't f- totally buy it. Um, suffering isn't optional. Suffering happens to all of us. But I think the idea is, um, and it's right on. In fact, I was just, I just turned in at 1 a.m. last night. I turned in my, or this morning, I turned in my last chapter for my new book here. And I was just writing on this yesterday, this weekend. There is just plenty of research about, um, you can be on a long hunting trip out in the woods and it's cold and your body can keep going and enduring it because the cold serves, it, it has a reason, it's got a purpose and you've got a larger objective. And if you're just sitting outside in punishment, your mom kicks you out and tells you to stand on the front porch and it's cold, your ability to stand out there is 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 much is greatly reduced. Mm-hmm. Your how long you're going to be able to stay out there. So context is super super important. And when we realize that we have the power to change our context um almost all the time. Not always, but almost all the time. Um Jocko says it best when he says good like, hey, I didn't get the promotion. Good. I got more time to get better. Um, at that frame of mind is transformative. Um, I thought we were going to go on a wild date tonight to my wife. Well, I'm tired. I need to go to bed. Cool. I'm going to be able to finish this book I've been working on. And the faster we can learn to toggle, the less mm-hmm. we just wallow and make snow angels in cow manure. 
and we can get on to the next thing. Um, and I think that's really important. The danger there is you don't grieve and you got to grieve losses. You got to grieve misses. You got to grieve um, when things don't go your way. But man, the faster you can change the context of your pain or your hurt, um, the faster you can get on to what comes next. Yeah. And, and I think the victimhood, the context behind what I interpret from that word is just how long you stay there. And, and kind of to your point, like it, it is a place, right? We just don't need to set up camp, you know, and build a four story house there. Maybe we're just passing through, but yeah, it's a place we need to, we definitely need to acknowledge and, and, and maybe kick the tires on how we process that place. Yeah. And, and, and we need to keep our eyes peeled at all times. Like, uh, sex trafficking victims are true victims and they have mm -hmm. zero power. They can't get out of their situation without somebody coming to help. Mm -hmm. And so that exists, right? And to say it doesn't exist, mm -hmm. be like, well, they just can choose to not suffer. No, mm -hmm. dude, that's suffering, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm in a different situation, right? I am um, I'm not being trafficked right now. I am choosing to eat some of these foods. I'm choosing to make some of these decisions. I'm choosing to not have a hard conversation with my wife. I have a conversation I've got to have with my neighbor that I've been avoiding for months and it will be uncomfortable, might end up with attorneys, but I got to have it. And dude, I'm getting more and more anxious about it because I keep putting it off. I keep trying to go around it and you got to go through it, right? And so I think it's recognizing there are true victims in the world and that's part of our job as humans is to wade into those waters. And for most of us, most of the time, we own the key to our own prison. Uh, I mean, great locked analogy. from the inside. Yeah, no, you're right. And and I did. I heard you talk about that. Um, and, and so I, so yes, I think the suffering can almost be self induced if the anticipation and and the torment we put ourselves through to get to that thing leading up to that thing and let's just you know instead of just going right at it no one it's there yeah. right but i'm going to take baby steps to get there and i'm going to put myself through hell to, before i get there instead of i'm running toward it cuz it's not change me not running toward it doesn't change the fact that i'm going to have to encounter it That's so right. to your to your analogy to your, uh of the neighbor uh, but yeah, I think some of the suffering is is something that we add to. Maybe we don't create it, but we pour gas on the fire because we're dreading it, because we're delaying the inevitable, because we're not kind of girding up our loins and equipping ourselves to to face it, I guess, once we get there. I don't know. There, there was just... uh, way back in the early UFC, there was a fighter. Um, he fought over in Pride in Japan. His His nickname was the Axe Murderer. He was unbelievable. His name was Vandalay Silva. He's one of my favorite fighters who's ever existed mm. from Brazil. He was a he was maniacal, and he just went undefeated. He just destroyed everybody. He came over and fought in the UFC, and he fought Tito Ortiz. And Tito was a great wrestler, and Tito wisely took him down and wrestled him to the ground and won a good decision. And people, I, I'll never forget this. Somebody asked him in an interview, "Weren't you scared?" And he goes, yeah, I was scared. I was looking across the cage at Vandalay Silva. And he said, but when that cage clicks, you have a choice to make. Mm. That guy's coming at me. I can either try to climb out of this thing and run away, or I can try to win this fight. And I, that stuck with me like, oh, for all of us, if we're alive, that cage door is clicked. 
We can try to climb out of this thing and huddle under our beds. We can live that life. Or we can just go right at it and say, what's this, what, what, what's, what do we got to do to make this thing work and make this thing right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's, and I wonder if, if we could get in uh, Ortiz's head, like what leading up to that fight, even before he saw him standing over there, had he built him up beyond what he really was or had he, Kind of I mean, that was the old thing that that Vandalay Silva and Mike Tyson they beat most of the people before they even got in the ring. Right? That's right. That's um, right. But I think even even if that's the case, at some point I'm looking across the cage at a at, at another man, at another woman, at a situation, at a job, at an opportunity, and I've got to decide: Am I going to live with the shame and the regret and the what ifs and the lack of possibility, or am I going to run in there? And I might get, dude, I'm, <laughs> I might get my head knocked off in fact there's a strong possibility i don't i get knocked down and as my buddy dave ramsey says success is simply a pile of failures that's it it's you just kept failing and you just kept failing and eventually you were standing on such a high pile of failures that you looked up and you were standing above others right you you had you had transcended where you were right yeah yeah, I mean it is, and and we're living it every day, and it's not like it's going away anytime soon. So we we got to figure that out. Um, I had a question. So, um, talking about marriage a little bit, I want to transition, maybe shift gears a little bit. Um, relationships. We could even do that. We could even say just relationships in general. Um, that I know comes up a lot on your show. I mean that that's got to be a big piece of that pie on daily conversations that you have. So we're, we're expecting you to have all the answers for the audience on, <laughs> on relationships. Um, what have you sort of, give me one area in 2022 that maybe you, you kind of conquered that mountain a little bit when it comes to relationship personally and, and without, you know, too many details, obviously, but kind of give us, did you have going in to 2022? Did you have a thing about relationships that, that I'm going to be different? this year when it comes to blank. Yeah. Cause I mean, in 21, my, I mean, I went from 20 years of being a college administrator and a professor, just a nerd. Right. Um, and when I was running around in the middle of the night with police officers and crisis responders, my wife was asleep. She didn't even know that that part of my life existed. Um, and so all of a sudden people are stopping us in airports and asking for pictures and people are stopping my wife at the doctor's office. And, um, you know, it, it, it's our life changed dramatically taking this new this new role. And so 21 was hard for our marriage because my wife's an introvert. I'm an introvert. It was just a strange season. And in 22, we both made a decision. Let's start saying the things out loud and let's say our needs out loud. And if you need quiet, then don't go on the trip. And if you need me to be home in more than I am, then say it out loud. And I'm going to listen. I'm going to not be offended by it. But um we're we're a partnership we're in this thing together and we added it wasn't just talk we started going on long our kids are just now old enough which is really really awesome where we'd take one or two hour walks on saturday mornings and um i could throw some weights in a ruck my ruck backpack and take off and we would go and have a, a we would exercise sometimes we had some really uncomfortable conversations and sometimes we were about dreaming and planning and what's the next five years going to look like um, 
but it was a an intentional move towards relationship. Let's talk more. Let's communicate more. Let's be more in um, mm-hmm. in concert together. Let's discuss more things. And so um, that's it was. It's been a real significant blessing. The year was hard. We had some personal stuff that both of us went through, but we both had an avenue to discuss it. We didn't have to go through it alone. Well, uh, I mean, communication could be a whole separate conversation. You know, we could spend months on it and I, I don't know. It's the more of it we have, even, well, you correct me if I'm wrong, but <clears throat> I think even learning through conversation and communication, even if it's not great, even if it's not textbook, mm-hmm. the fact that we're still verbalizing has a degree of healthiness to it. Would you, I would think, you agree? I think communication. <clears throat> I don't know that I like that word anymore because we communicate on a battlefield. I communicate when I was coaching basketball at the high school level, I would communicate plays to my team. That's not what husbands and wives do. They do some Mm -hmm. like, Hey, are you picking up Billy? And are you running? When are you going to be home from whatever? Yeah. But the goal is not communicate. The goal is connect. Mm. Hey, this is how I feel. This is what's going through my mind. The story I'm making up about you is, the story I'm making up about us is, I really liked it last night when you, so the goal is, and, and I think guys are the worst, man. We treat our wives like car engines and they tell us something. They reach out to connect and we answer them with communication. Well, you should have done this. I would tell my boss and he needs to go do that. We try right. to fix them. Man, instead of exhaling and saying, and I'm sorry. And the, most men think that our only utility is in communicating, in solving, and not being with. We didn't, that's a, a set of skills we didn't have. Um, and so I think it's practicing that. I'm not going to mm-hmm. try to solve my wife's stuff. I'm just going to say, I'm so sorry. And if she asks me, what, I, what should I do? Dude, I'm ready for that bell. I'll be ready for it. But um, resting that I'm enough just because I'm walking with her. At, at mile three of our long ruck walk. And she just told me some things she's thinking and she's struggling with. And that's mm-hmm. enough. That's enough. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I have two little, I guess, two headed monster here on, on relationships to ask you. Um, so in the heat of the moment, I mean, you and I seem somewhat similar uh, in, we could potentially be, coerced into getting a little bit inflammatory in the way we communicate sometimes uh, we're, ever, we're passionate ever. we're we're fiery uh or, or can be or used to be that's not me anymore no i'm just kidding um what are some practical ways for guys maybe to de-escalate and and maybe when it starts to get a little bit elevated in heat the temperature in a conversation or a connection i mean i guess a connection wouldn't necessarily have that let's just say in the in the conversations that we might have, because not all of those are connections to your point that you just made, but yeah, help I, us get, I, help us get through some of that. Core rule for me. Number one, I don't fight when I'm mad. I simply mm-hmm. don't. Cause when mm-hmm. I fight, when I'm mad, I fight to win. And when I fight to win, I fight to hurt. And when I fight to hurt, everybody loses. Yep. So I don't fight when I'm angry ever, ever. I'll have discussions when I'm angry. I'll talk. But when I feel myself getting mad, I'm out. I'm out. I'll walk away from it. I'll sleep upstairs. I'll go for, I'll literally leave the house and go for a walk. But I will love and honor and protect my wife and my kids from me. And um, that is 
that's putting my ego aside. That's being a mature adult. That is not treating my wife like an opponent. She's on my team. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's number one. I don't fight when I'm angry. Number two, I don't have what I would call hard um, conversations in the heat of a moment. Meaning um, you're in the middle, uh, like, like y'all are like starting to get hot and heavy. There's you're, you're starting to get intimate and your wife says something or you say something and she gets a little bit mad and you can just feel it. It's over. Like it's over. That isn't the moment to talk about, like, we just don't have sex anymore, and how come we're not? That's not that moment. That's a moment to put a pin in it, to go to breakfast in a few weeks and say, hey, it's been tough the last couple of months. What's going on? I feel like you don't think I'm attractive anymore, or I'm grossing mm -hmm. you out. or I'm. That's when you have those conversations. That's, you don't have conversations about money and finances when you find out your husband or your wife bought something without telling you. That's not the time. Like you always, <laughs> right? right. Um, and by the way, you always, you never, those are lies. That's not true. That's not true. That's right. a way to try to get the facts on your side without doing the hard work of seeking truth. So um, I don't say big generalizing sweeping statements. Again, every conversation, even when they're accountability, even when I'm mad, even I'm frustrated, all of them are aimed towards not winning. They're aimed towards strengthening this covenant that i swore i'd be a part of till i was dead and so um sometimes that means i'm going to avoid a conversation for two weeks but i'll say it out loud hey we need to have a conversation about this i'm not in a place where i can do it yet um that yeah. way when you feel me heavy in the house i'm not just walking around like giving you the silent treatment or using my silence as a way to get what i want around here yeah um that's that's which is childish and stupid too and right. and i've done it many 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 a time um, so I, I hope those things help. Yeah. It's, it's really any discussion, any is about strengthening and furthering this thing, not winning. Right? Yep. Sometimes the, the guys think that to be the leader of the home, we do have to have an upper hand at some point and win at some point. So it, I'll just tell the guys now, if you're thinking that it's a competition, like just like sports, guess what? Those, those same struggles and same, uh, contests are going to repeat themselves just like a, a football team. You're going to play that again next week. So you're going to win this week and then you're going to have that same fight next week. Then you're going to have it 12 times in the season. So if we go into our conversations with a winner and a loser in mind, guess what? That same thing's going to come up again. And guess what? We're going to think we got to win again. And it's a perpetual toxicity. Um, so if we can get to a place where that's my partner, that's my teammate, like I, we can't move the ball down the field if we're constantly at each other. So I think that's good because I've always, I, I have been that guy um, where I feel like, man, this is my time. Like I have a really good point and I need to win this one because she won the last two. You know, I think right. we get into that's ego. That is ego, man. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. And, and or, or, the, the, the saying I keep is if I win and she loses, we both lose. Of course. Of course. Of course. And how, so help people, maybe not in marriage, but just in relationships, because friendships are hard. I don't know about you. I mean, I've got very few really solid friendships, you know, a lot of, a lot of mile wide inch deep stuff, but you know, the mile deep inch wide stuff, I'm, I, I've been very either selective or just very bad at that. So why talk about maybe the, why we gravitate to toxic relationships maybe in a friendship scenario or why it's hard to separate where where are we at mentally that 
keeps us lugging that same bag of junk around being the person that we've always known that now we really can't stand or we've outgrown, but we can't cut ties. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've heard it said, um, like in a marriage relationship that we, you marry your unfinished business, that there is a way down embedded in your nervous system. Your body is asking itself, why did dad choose drinks over me? Why did dad choose his girlfriend over me? Why did dad choose work over me? And you're going to solve that in the next lifetime, which is your marriage, which is your long-term boyfriend or long-term girlfriend. And um, why didn't mom let me grow up? Why was she folding my underwear when I was a senior in high school? And I'm going to marry somebody who folds my underwear and mm. as a senior, you know, and treats me like I'm four and is basically more of my mother than a lover and a partner. And so we marry our unfinished business. Our bodies are always trying to solve for, right? That's why toxic people find toxic people over and over and over and over again. Wow. Um, the second thing, when it comes to friendships, um, I don't think we approach friendships with intentionality. Um, I think we've looked at friendships as a luxury, as an add-on, as like, that's fine, often as an inconvenience. Um, yeah, I guess I'll call Billy and see if he wants to go fishing. I'd rather just go by myself. Um, and we have not given friendships the same, they have infinite value. We spend way much more time looking at our stock portfolios or our checking the gas mileage on our cars than we do on our friendships. And our friendships, um, the, the, just the trove of science has come out over the last 10 or 15 years. Without friendships, we just die. And we die miserably and we take everybody with us. And so it's being intentional. Who do I want to hang out with? Does that guy make me better? Does that guy make me push me? and make me uncomfortable? Does that guy challenge me? Um, I have very, very few friends. I mean, mm -hmm. my goodness, very few friends that aren't oppo oppositional in almost every way except for how we love our spouses and how we love each other. I've got friends that are so conservative, they make Trump. He's like, whoa, let's dial it back a little bit. I got friends who Bernie Sanders is like, that. <laughs> that's too far. Yeah. And some of my closest best friends on the planet are stone cold atheists, man. And I'm a Christian guy and some are Christians. And I think you and I are reading different books because you're insane. There's nowhere is that in the same Bible that we both read. So mm -hmm. I love it. I love it because they push me and they make me uncomfortable. They make me think. And I know that if it goes down, they will show up. And so um, yeah. I put a lot of stock into my friendships. Yeah, and why? And so generations that preceded us, I think, were better at this than we are. They had to. They had yeah, to. Because I was going to say, they had no air conditioners. They had to go sit on the front porch and see each other. That's right. And then we closed up the front porch and put it on a back porch. And it takes a very special person to go to allow into our homes. That's an intimate place. And then we just covered up the back porch and turned it into a game room. And now we have no. We used to go to ball games, and now we just watch them. We used to go to movies, and now we just stream them. And so overnight, we have extracted all what I call moments of accidental community. In residence halls, I used to fight tooth and nail for group, uh, for multi-use bathrooms, right? For wherever you had to walk down the hall with your stuff and take a shower in a shower room and not private bathrooms because otherwise the only reason to come out of your room was to leave the building. 
there was no places to connect with other people. Like, hey, what's up? You use that toothpaste? That's a, That guy brushes his teeth like a weirdo. God, that guy stinks up a bathroom. Like, that is how you learn how the world works and how you learn right. about other people. And we've just taken every bit of that and dumped it online and called it real. And we've moved on and our bodies are starving. That is, yeah. And so, like you said earlier, we got to be intentional because um, we got to create those moments. And and if we don't, then we will find ourselves with maybe just that kind of smaller circle uh, at our, you know, on our deathbed, we won't have as many of those kind of blood brothers, if you will, that, that we've known our whole lives that we know will show up. Like you said, like my, we'll, my buddy, we'll, we my, won't have any of those. My buddy, um, his name is Dr. Richard Beck. He's a psychologist and a theologian there in Texas. He posed a question one time and it has haunted me and it really transformed the way I live. And the question was, what if we lived our lives as though we could never move? What conversations would you have? What things would you do? Um, if you, there wasn't a bank on every corner, you'd have to tell the truth all the time because that bank teller would see you every week. If um, there was only one coffee shop in town, you'd have to treat the coffee barista with dignity and respect because she's going to be making your food for the, re for the next four or five or six years. Um, my son and I go to breakfast. He's 12. We go to, to, to Waffle House every Tuesday. It's my morning diabetes. And um, I don't normally eat. Try not to eat trash like that, but dude, it's incredible. The food's good. We have a good experience. And I've been able to sit with him and we've made relationships with the waitresses there and the guy who cooks the food. We way over tip. My son has started participating with some of his mowing money and he cleans the crap out of some horse stalls of some of our neighbors. He has started tipping also because it, because he's, it, it's, it's, this is going to be our place and these people are going to know us and we're going to know them. And when she, when that waitress has her baby, we're going to celebrate her and we're going to get her a stroller. Like we're going to participate because we're all a part of this thing, man. And so it's, it's me intentionally trying to make relationships with people, even if it costs me a little, <laughs> little indigestion. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I love that. And, and I, so I think we've created this, these social parachutes where we, we can, we can stick and move. We can bump and run. We can hop over here. Like down the street is, is a like establishment. If I don't. Yeah. If my preacher says exact, something weird. Yeah. I don't have to have lunch with him and discuss it, or I don't have to go back and reimagine what I think. I just go to another next building. Cause there's yeah. one on that corner and that corner and that corner. And, and, that and they'd corner. love to have me. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're all, we're thinking, so we've created these, these opt outs just cut and, and run and cut and run. And cut yeah. And run. So great point. I mean, I, I was always envious of my dad and, and we'd walk down the street and he'd wave at everybody. He knew, he knew everybody. everybody. And, That's right. Yeah. So my it's, dad, it's my dad knew everybody, man. It's yeah. amazing. Well, it's good, man. Uh, all right. Before we kind of land this plane, um, tell me about, well, you kind of let a little bit of the cat out of the bag and I know you can't talk about much of it, but I was going to ask you before you ever said that, what are some next projects for you this year, 2023? Mm -hmm. um, you've had some great success with the book last year. Um, actually, before I get the last, that first question, I want to ask you, what are some of the common, I guess, big takeaways you're hearing from the reception of the book, Change, Own Your Past, Change Your Future? What are some of the big, like, you sit alone in your car after just talking to some people or signing some books and you're like, that really had some, that resonated. Like what are, what are some common the, things? The that? big one is probably the biggest one is um, 
I always considered myself. Most of my, not most, many of my friends didn't go to college. I got a bunch of blue collar buddies, unemployed buddies. Um, uh, I think one of my buddies, I, 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 and I've got some friends that work in college, like work in the HVAC mm-hmm. companies and bankers, whatever. So I've never considered myself overly smart and I've never considered myself overly highbrow. And it wasn't until I joined Dave Ramsey's team and I was trying to explain like a psychological construct or a counseling idea or a way you can change your life and saw the blank stare over and out. I was talking over people. I wasn't connecting with people. I was giving them regurgitated stuff out of an academic journal and it didn't make a lot of sense. And so, um, one of the things I really tried to do and own your past was um, make it accessible. The, the target audience was not my fellow academicians, was not somebody who's trying to learn all the studies and the science. It was a single mom with two kids who just wants her life to stop hurting so bad, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's that guy who's the works in the HVAC company. He'll read one book in the next four years, and I want to give him some tools that he can become a better dad mm-hmm. right now. And so, um, or he can be a little more present husband right now. And so that has been the most common thing that has filled my soul, which is finally somebody wrote a counseling book that I could understand. Somebody wrote a book about trauma that made sense to me and made me feel not so crazy anymore. Um, and so, and uh, it's hard for me, man, because I, I grew up presenting at academic conferences. That's been my whole life. Um, going toe to toe with different researchers and reading and learning and changing and all that. That's not my job in this season. My job in this season is to sit next to people and say, Hey man, I get it. And, uh, let's do the next right hard thing. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, that's, that's something to that. Like there's something to meeting people where they are and, and articulating it in a way that'll resonate and it'll, they'll keep it right. They might get it in the first, like when you try to, when you, but they won't, it won't necessarily become part of the fabric of their healing. And so I think that's what you probably created is, is that. Um, So can you give us a title? Of the uh, next no, I can't one? give you a title. No? Yet. In fact, it's still okay. in testing. There's a whole process for All right. titles. My titles are awesome and they never, they never t- use them. Um, <laughs> mainly because they're not, they're not awesome. Um, so before I wrote on your past, I wrote a little 40 or 60 page, 80 page, um, little pamphlet called redefining anxiety. And it stemmed from a conversation I had with on the radio, uh, two or three people called right in a row. And I finally said, Hey dude, anxiety's not your problem. Anxiety is just the alarm system going off, letting you know that you're not all right. Yeah. And I, during the break, took our headphones off, and Dave Ramsey looked at me, and he was I was co-hosting the show with him, and he said, yeah, you need to write that down. I've never heard that before. And I, did, I thought everybody knew that. I've been telling my students that for years, that anxiety is a smoke alarm. I've been saying that for probably 20 years. I didn't know that that was such a foreign concept. And so that book, that little pamphlet book, ends up on the bestseller list, ends up selling unfathomable amounts of, I mean, it just went bananas. And again, the most common thing I heard was it's the first time I've ever heard anxiety explained in a way I could understand it and gave me some things I could do right now. And so we went back and the audience just kept saying, we want more stuff about anxiety. And I, quite frankly, am tired of talking about it because it's not the problem. The fact that 
the house is burning to the ground is the problem, not the, not the fact the alarm is ringing. And so this book, the working title is How to Build a Non-Anxious Life. What are the things we can do in our lives so that the anxiety alarms simply don't have to ring all the time? And there's so much we can, can, can control and, and there's so little we can control and there's so much we can do yeah. to create a context. We've just created a world, man, John, that our bodies can't exist in. They yeah. can't live like this. And so yeah. how do we carve some space for ourselves and our families and our communities in midst of the madness, man? And so the working title is Building a Non-Anxious yeah. Life. Like, what, how, how do you actually do that? How do you go do it? If you think about the uh, total money makeover, it's, it's, it's my, here's how to get out of debt. It's that, here's how to create a life where you're not anxious all the time. Yeah. And you and your wife and your family aren't so anxious anymore. That's good. So can we silence the alarm or can we just muffle it, do you think? Best case scenario. The, I, I said for years, there's no real healing from, you don't, you don't want to be not anxious, right? That's an important signal. Yeah, we don't body. want the smoke alarm not to go off, right? Not to yeah. go off. But I'll tell you this. In 2009, you, in the opening chapter of uh, On Your Past, I talk about it. I went crazy. And a big part of going crazy, I was so anxious, I was so fried. But one of my anxiety triggers was the economy. If I saw a stock ticker and a little red arrow pointing down, my body responded as though somebody was coming after me with a hatchet. If I heard any sort of negative news financially, any sort of, well, I heard mortgage rates and I heard it. I can't, I would sleep for days. I wouldn't eat. I would, my body just responded as though you had told me my kid has terminal cancer and I wow. couldn't get it to stop. Wow. And I thought that by avoiding anything financial, I was me muffling the alarms. I just, I just closed all the doors to the rooms of the alarms are going on. It did quiet them down and allow me actually to do the work to heal. It didn't. Right. Um, it didn't fix the. It didn't turn the alarm off. Yeah. Fast forward, we're headed into a recession. Everybody's screaming about the economy, the debt ceiling thing. If the debt ceiling, if we don't fix that, if if we don't. Yeah. I had one friend tell me, the entire world rests on one sentence. All of Earth spins on one sentence. The United States will pay their bills. It would be like setting off multiple to default on our loans would be like setting off multiple nuclear weapons at the same time. Yeah. And so we've got to solve some of these and we can't just keep running the debt up all the time. We got to solve some of this stuff, right? We got to sit down like grownups, equip me and idiots and solve it. But what I will tell you is with all of the craziness, all the economics, all the inflation, dude, You're my good. sleep is, my sleep's great. You're good. And so what I've done is I've created a context where I don't owe anybody any money. And I've created a context where if I got fired today, I've got an emergency fund because I spent the last six or seven years paying off all my debts and putting some money in savings. I've created a non-anxious life. Yes, bad things are going to come. I will lose a job. Dave will fire me at some point. I will have a car wreck. I had a car wreck last year. It was really, really annoying, but it wasn't catastrophic, right? So good. And so I have a body now that is able to look at data and make intelligent decisions because it's not fighting it's not running for its life because i've created i'm in the process of creating a non-anxious life i'll never solve all my marriage issues i don't want to i don't want to marry a robot or somebody off a flannel graph but i've created a context where my wife and i have safe spaces to talk and have hard conversations we've created environments for that we've created non-anxious relationship together so that we can deal with whatever comes our way right yeah. And so it's it's about creating an unanxious life. So I actually think you can heal from anxiety. I think mm -hmm. from from pathological anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. 
and you can begin to listen to the alarms for what they are and they're not just ringing all the time. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I, it's, it's been a remarkable season for me just watching my own body respond to what the madness that's going on. Well, good. And, and it's good that you, you got that on paper and, and now it, we can, now you can see the effects of other people benefiting. Um, all right. Leave us with a 30 second, maybe an elevator, uh, just kind of something on your chest, maybe to make us better, better than, mm. I mean, we're already seeing a little more clearly than when we got on this podcast, but mm. help the audience part with something that's going to kind of shine a light down the road for them and, and something that you feel like people need to hear right now. It's not too late to change your life. You're worth being loved and you're worth loving other people and you're worth saying out loud, here's what I need. You're worth saying out loud, here's what I want. And you're worth not having to throw temper tantrums and be angry and raged out and frustrated all of the time. And those issues don't rely in politicians and those issues don't rely in the price of eggs. All those things are frustrating. Mm. As we talked about earlier, they rely on the context. They rely on our ability to look at our situation and our neighbors and say, okay, cool. What are we going to do next? And I think if all of us can exhale and say, all right, things are not as I would like them to be. I've got a limited scope. I can only control my thoughts and my actions. I'm going to go make a go. And I'm going to do yeah. it with peace. I'm going to do it with tranquility. I'm going to do it with uh, aggression. I'm going to do it with, with the paradox, right? I'm going to move forward with the paradox and I'm going to go make it happen. Yep. That's it. All right. Well, we can get more of you uh, by going on and, and purchasing your book. Uh, you can on follow your me on uh, Instagram at, uh, <laughs> at John Deloney. That's right. And, and Dr. John Deloney show. Uh, and how often are you releasing episodes a week? Is it every, every day? Uh, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay. So there you go. You, for those of you with the resolution, you're probably penciling in a workout Monday, Wednesday, Friday right now. That's probably your structure. You've got, now you've got something to listen to while you're lifting weights. So anyway, thank you for coming on, man. It's been great. Thanks, I enjoyed Appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Uh, you're, the, you're the best. Uh, audience, he's been Dr. John Deloney. We've been last in line. Be blessed. Make your escape.